We continue this morning in the sermon series through the book of Acts in that uh, continuing narrative which we began uh, three Sundays ago in Acts 3 in which the apostles Peter and John heal a lame man, a man lame from birth, more than 40 years old, in the temple precincts which provides for them the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which leads to their arrest and their interrogation by the Jewish authorities. And now they have been released at this point in the narrative when we pick up in chapter 4 at verse 23. Let us ask the Lord who by the Holy Spirit breathed out his word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture, infallibly and inerrantly, now to breathe upon us afresh for the spiritual illumination of our minds and the opening of our hearts, that we might receive his word for what it is, the word of God, and respond in faith. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, your word would be spoken with boldness, so that the dead might hear and live, that sinners might be convicted, that the doomed might be saved, and that your servants might be strengthened and the church of Jesus Christ be built up. To the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of God. It is written. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
Now unto him who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Perhaps you have had an experience similar to one I had within the last month or so. I was minding my own business, sitting in a chair, about 32,000 feet in the air, when all of a sudden, that chair dropped about 2,000 feet in a second. And when it dropped, it bounced right back up as though it had hit a trampoline. And then it jumped to the right. And then it jumped to the left. And then it jumped up again and down again and up again. And there I am, sitting in that chair, and I'm thinking, you know, that pilot is probably about 25 years old. <laughs> I hope he's got this. And then I thought, yeah, he's got this. It's going to be okay. But if not, it's going to be okay. You know, when you're bouncing around in a chair at 30,000 feet in the air, it's good to believe in an infinite, eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, God who is absolutely sovereign over every molecule in the universe, who has declared the end from the beginning, to whom nothing is a surprise, and nothing is a crisis, and from whose love sealed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, nothing, not even a plane crash, not even death, can separate you. Is this your God? Have you placed your faith in? Have you entrusted yourself to? Do, your, do you find your comfort and your courage in the sovereign ruler of all things who from all eternity for his own glory, has unchangeably foreordained everything that comes to pass. 
Is this God your God? I ask that because for the last 13 months, we've been bouncing around in a turbulent atmosphere. Societally, politically, medically, morally. The turbulence continues. Turbulence over the pandemic, over masks, over COVID protocol. Turbulence about policing. Turbulence about political power grabbing. Turbulence stirred up by Marxist ideology on the move. Turbulence. caused by the sexual confusion revolution. Turbulence over government overreach into the life of the church and etc. and etc. and etc. And all of this bouncing around in national turmoil in these turbulent times might make us want to jump with a parachute might make us fearful that things are completely out of control. Might make us fearful that there's no way that the church of Jesus Christ can survive the growing onslaught of anti-Christian secularism upon us. What are we to do? Well, for starters... Let's, let's look at what the first Christians did when they experienced turbulence. Over the past two Sundays, we've read this account of how the apostles Peter and John healed the lame man there in the temple precincts, of how that miraculous healing gave them the opportunity to proclaim that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead by God and he was the one who had healed this man and thus he was revealed and proven to be the Son of God in power and the true Messiah of Israel. Listen again carefully to what Peter publicly said to the people in the temple precincts. Now, returning to chapter 3, verse 13. Peter, a Jew preaching to Jews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, both His death and His resurrection, we are witnesses. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, mark that, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What I want you to notice back in 3.18 is that Peter said, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, 
that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter was very clear. No, Peter was very clear that what those men and the Jewish authorities and Pilate had done was a wicked sin. You denied the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. That was a horrible, heinous sin from which they had to repent in order to receive the forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus the Messiah, whom they crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And at the same time, speaking very clearly about their sin, Peter also declared that their sinful deed, by their sinful deed, by their sinful deed, God had fulfilled what he had foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, namely, that his Christ would suffer. The point is that the worst sin ever committed in the history of the world, and which will ever be committed in the history of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus by the hands of lawless men was foretold by the prophets and was the definite predestined plan of God. If you're taking notes, look at chapter 2, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 28, 2, 23, 4, 28. Under the sovereignty of God, the worst sin ever committed in the history of the world and ever to be committed in the history of the world fulfilled the eternal purpose of God for the salvation of sinners, for the glory of His name, and for the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord over all. And that point is boldly affirmed again in the passage for today that under the absolute sovereignty of God, even the worst of human sinfulness serves God's purposes for the glory of his name. Last Sunday, we read the account of Peter and John's arrest and interrogation by the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the Jews. And the Jewish authorities were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. They really didn't know what to do with them because all of the people were praising God for the miracle that they had seen. And so they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter's response is one that we ought to remember. Well, if you think it's right that we should listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And the authorities threatened them and let them go. Well, this arrest, interrogation, and threatening by the authorities, you see, was the early church's first experience of turbulence. Boop. Just hit a bump. And even though Peter and John had been released, they knew what this meant. They knew it would not be the last time. They knew it wouldn't always go so well being released without harm. The turbulence had just begun. 
and it was likely to get worse. So what should they do? Back off? Be silent? Be good little people? Go along to get along. Let's do that. Let's go along to get along. Apologize and try to explain that they really didn't mean to cause any trouble. Oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to offend you. No. The apostles knew exactly what was happening because Jesus had told them that it would happen. Jesus had told them that they would be delivered over to councils and brought to trial. Jesus had told them that they would be hated by the world because the world hated him. Jesus told them that others would revile them and persecute them and utter all kinds of evil against them falsely on his account. And that in the world they would have tribulation. Jesus had told them all of this. The apostles knew all of this. And therefore, the apostles knew that God had them right where he wanted them. You got it? God had them right where he wanted them. They knew who was in control. They knew that God was working out his purpose for his own glory, even through the machinations of those who hated Jesus Christ. They knew that God was working out his purposes for his own glory to advance his kingdom and build up the church of Jesus Christ even through the machinations of those who hated Jesus Christ. So when they were released, they went back to their friends, their fellow believers, and told them everything that had happened. But they didn't stir up, stir up everybody in a dither of hand-wringing fear. They led the church in prayer affirming the absolute sovereignty of God over all things, including the works of the wicked. Notice how they prayed. Learn how to pray this way. It begins by calling upon God, Sovereign Lord. Now, that may be the best English translation that we can really come up with. Sovereign Lord. Lord, it means the absolute sole ruler. Another English translation is master, as in the relationship of master and slave. But you see, the translation question arises from the fact that in the Greek, the word is despotes from which we get the English word despot, which of course in our modern English language has very negative, even evil connotations. And therefore, despot would not be a good English translation. 
because God is not evil or arbitrary in his rule over creation. But you get the point. He is the only ruler over all things because he is the only creator. As they say in this prayer, note, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Note, learn how to pray this way. In a time of turbulence, they began their prayer focused on the attributes of God, His power. His wisdom, His sovereign rule over all things. Faced with trial, turbulence, opposition, persecution, the apostles and first believers responded by affirming the absolute sovereignty of God as they called upon Him in prayer. It is a good lesson for us to learn and to practice. John Calvin preached a great sermon on this passage in which he said that, quote, if we want our faith to be strong, we must consider God's power when praying and mention the promises on which we rely. The disciples here refer to the creation of the world to strengthen themselves in the power of God and in the confidence that His power is sufficient to sustain them in the presence of every danger. After affirming the power of God, that's the end of Calvin's quote now, after affirming the power of God, the apostles and other believers then mentioned the promises of God in His Word. Specifically, they quote Psalm 2. That's the quotation you see indented in your Bible there. Why did the Gentiles rage? They specifically quote Psalm 2. So make a note. The apostles, the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, teaches us how to pray. Pray the Psalms. Pray Scripture. They quote Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm, that is, a prophetic psalm, fulfilled in Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, that is, the Christ of Israel. And notice that as they began to quote this psalm, verse 25, they said, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Just note that. Just note it. The first believers, the apostles, affirmed the doctrine of the verbal inspiration of Scripture. That the words of Scripture are the words of God. Look what they said. The sovereign Lord, through the mouth of David, said by the Holy Spirit. There's your doctrine of Scripture. And the point is that the believers found their courage and confidence not only in the power of God, but also in the Word of God revealed in Scripture. And so we likewise need to do so. Our confidence and courage 
come from the promises of God in his word. Okay. Now, they quoted Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers of the earth were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed, his Messiah, his Christ. The believers built their prayer upon the foundation of God's word. It was just as God had spoken by the Holy Spirit through David for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Psalm 2 is a prophecy that the nations, the Gentiles, would rebel against, make war against the Lord and his Messiah, the anointed, the Christ. And in this prayer, the believers were affirming that this is exactly what had taken place. When the Gentiles, represented by Pilate and to some degree Herod, together with the peoples of Israel, crucified Jesus. The point here is that all humanity, all humanity, Jew and Gentile, were engaged in this warfare this rebellion against God and his anointed Messiah in the crucifixion of Jesus. Psalm 2 continues, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the whole world is saying, let us rebel against and break free from the reign of the Lord and his anointed over us. We do not want to be ruled by the only true God. We want to rule over ourselves and this world in his place. Let us break their bonds and cast away their cords from us. Let us be free from the reign of God over us so that we might rule in his place. And so it is today. So it will be until Christ comes again. Until, until he makes all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. Because this is the basic creed of fallen humanity. In our fallen nature, we do not want God to be God. We do not want God to rule over us. We do not want a Lord to whom we must bow the knee. It's true of each one of us as individuals. And it is true in the manner in which human societies organize themselves or human governments organize themselves or human ideologies organize themselves against the reign of God. It was prophesied 
a thousand years before Jesus came into the world. It was fulfilled when they crucified Jesus and the war continues on until he comes again. So when God sent his son, the Messiah, into the world, what did we do to him? We crucified him, just as Psalm 2 and other scriptures prophesied. Repent, therefore, that your sins may be blotted out. But in this prayer, the believers also affirmed the sovereignty of God even in the crucifixion of Jesus, saying that the rulers and people did, verse 28, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was no surprise to God. It was his predestined plan. Jesus himself had prophesied it. Jesus himself knew exactly what was going to happen to him when he entered Jerusalem in the final week of his earthly ministry. Oh yes, the rulers and the people in their willful, sinful rebellion against God crucified Jesus. It was the most wicked atrocity ever committed in human history. As Peter had said, they denied the holy and righteous one and killed the author of life. But in doing so... They did only whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now you see this prayer based on Psalm 2 affirms both human sin, human responsibility, indeed human culpability, and the absolute sovereignty of God. God is not the author of sin. God cannot sin, but God can and does ordain the sins of sinful men to accomplish his holy will. God does not make anybody sin. Every person who sins does exactly what he or she chooses to do in accordance with his or her own sinful nature. Jesus was crucified and killed by lawless men who did whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. Now, before your eyes glaze over, get focused on this. What does it mean? It means that in the midst of every trial, tribulation, tumult, and turbulent storm in this world caused by men and women in their ongoing rebellion against God, God in His absolute sovereignty over all things is ruling and overruling all that they do in order to advance His kingdom and accomplish His purposes for the building up of His church through His Son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation of the elect and the glory of His name. His kingdom cannot fail. Sinful men and women can do their worst, but they can do no more 
God can do more. For the good of his people, the advance of his kingdom, the glory of his name. Psalm 2 goes on to say, and we, we need to note that when in the New Testament we have a quotation of a particular scripture, we need to read that particular scripture in its broader context in the Old Testament. That is to say, we need to, to go back and look at the Psalm 2 in its entirety, because Psalm 2 goes on to say, and this is a great verse which you ought to memorize and be able to call to mind immediately when you see the powers that be in rebellion against God. In response to those who rebel against God and His Son, He who sits in the heavens laughs. That's a great image. The kings of the earth and the rulers set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. Let us break their bonds and cast their cords away. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. There is no rebellion on earth or in heaven which will succeed in dethroning God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They did not succeed when they crucified Jesus. In fact, though they sinfully opposed God's will, they were the very instruments by which God accomplished His will for the salvation of sinners and the glory of His name. The same principle of God's absolute sovereignty over all things by which he accomplishes all his holy will is still in force today in the midst of the turbulence. He rules. He overrules. He works in and through the tumult and turbulence of this world to accomplish his will, to advance and to increase his kingdom. And therein is our confidence and our courage and our cheerfulness through the storm. I want to refer again to that sermon by John Calvin because I don't think I can say it any better. So please, just listen. Quote, This is what we must pay attention to. If we see that God permits the wicked to do what we would not desire, we must reserve the matter for the whole counsel and providence of God. He knows why he is doing it, Besides, whenever we see the gospel being persecuted and so many great troubles occurring, it seems from outward appearance that everything must be confounded. When we see that, it is true that we can be shaken. Yet, we must keep in mind that God is in control of all such things and will work them out in His good time, although we do not see it now. But we must honor God by attributing all wisdom and power to Him when it comes to directing matters for His glory and our salvation, even if it appears that they are moving in the opposite direction. That is a way we must understand that God will direct all this world's confusion toward the salvation of his faithful, especially the persecutions of the church. 
end quote. Thank you, Dr. Calvin. And so the apostles and the other believers prayed a very courageous prayer, not that they would be delivered from danger and spared persecution, not that their enemies would be destroyed by fire from heaven, but simply that in the face of threats, they would continue to speak God's word with boldness. And that he would confirm that word by stretching out his hand in power so that miraculous signs would be performed in the name of Jesus. In other words, their prayer in the midst of that turbulence, their prayer was that this persecution would provide the perfect opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward and further into the world with power. They prayed that this persecution would provide the perfect opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward and further into the world with power. That's how we ought to be praying right now. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They could feel the presence and power of God upon them. They were filled with all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Feel like you're bouncing around at 30,000 feet in the air? Remember who God is. The absolute sovereign ruler over all things visible and invisible. You don't need a parachute. You need to place your faith in you need to pledge your allegiance to. You need to bow your knee to Jesus Christ whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. His kingdom is forever. And he said, he's already told you, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So dearly beloved, be cheerful, not fearful. Pray for the courage that comes from Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and be bold. Be bold. In North Monroe, 
It's time. I can tell you, it's past time. Be bold in North Monroe. Be bold in Washtenaw Parish. Be bold in the name of Jesus Christ wherever you go to the ends of the earth to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Our Father, we humble ourselves beneath your sovereign power. We ask you to forgive us of our sins because we consider you too lightly. We consider you to be a small God and we repent. Give us grace. Fill us with your spirit for a holy, humble boldness. Would you please deliver us from the fear of man? And teach us what it means to fear you. Would you deliver us from our silly, shallow lives so that we might live with cheerful, joyful, hope-filled confidence in your power and your love. And would you grant us the grace of the Holy Spirit to be servants of your word so that more and more people might come to know Jesus Christ as their true Savior and Lord. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the word of God, let us stand to affirm our faith as we affirm together the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. You'll get another sermon from me sometime if I live long enough that um, the Apostles' Creed, you know, we say it so often, it has... Uh, loses its edge because of its familiarity. This is, a, this is a revolutionary statement asking us in whom do we believe really. Therefore, Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 